0: The long-awaited college football semifinals are here. I'm live. via tape delay in Paradise Valley, Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl. TCU against Michigan, the perennial blue blood against the up-and-comer and and the surprise team in college football this season. Hello, it is Friday, December 30th. This is the College Football Daily. I'm Brendan Marcello. To help us break down this game and interesting matchup, we welcome in Michigan Insider Analyst Zach Shaw. And Horn Frog blitzes Jeremy Clark. This is quite the quite the matchup. First off, I just want to get your first impressions of what this game will come down to when we all sit back and, and look at this one on New Year's Eve. In my mind, it's
1: it's going to be in the trenches. I mean, that's that's where Michigan likes to win its games, and that's where it often does. Uh, you know, and TCU. Really big, experienced offensive line, uh, but you know Michigan's defensive front may be a little different than what you see week in, week out in the Big Twelve. And on the other side, you know we everyone knows Michigan likes to run the ball. They just won the Joe Moore Award for best offensive line, but they haven't faced a three-three-five stack defense like what TCU has. So that's maybe not the physical, you know, smash mouth matchup. But there, there's going to be a lot of football IQ needed and a lot of cerebral components to establish the run but you look at Harbaugh's track record his entire coaching career when he wins when his teams run the ball well and they stop the run well they really don't lose very often and that's that's been a big part of Michigan's success this year top five in run defense and run offense so you know to me you know there's a lot of obviously things that TCU does really well but I feel like from Michigan's side if they're able to establish both of those phases and and kind of exert their will like they have all season this is this is their game to lose in that sense.
2: I agree with Zach does beginning in the trenches I think looking at TCU's offensive line. They're big, they're physical, and they're experienced. This is a line that has a lot of games under their belt. They're very experienced, especially at center and both guard positions. Alon Ali is one of the top centers of the Big 12. Steve Avila is an All-American, so they've got a lot of beef up front that they can move the pile against. They are going to be facing a very tough Michigan defensive line. A little bit different than what they've seen in the Big 12, like Zach mentioned. Michigan is a little bit bigger on defensive end. They're more used to seeing faster defensive ends in the Big 12. Guys that get to the quarterback uh, a lot faster. They they don't really see the size that they're going to be seeing up front on Michigan's defensive line. But I think defensively, what TCU might have an advantage in is the speed. They do play a 3-3-5. And usually when you see a 3-3-5 defense, it's Sometimes to overcome some of the deficiencies that you have in a defense, maybe not as talented at some positions as other, but when you look at TCU's defense, they've got a very strong defensive line. Their linebackers are very fast. They're very experienced. Their secondary, Josh Newton and Trey Hodges-Tomlinson, are two of the better cornerbacks, not only in the Big 12, but in the entire nation. And their safeties, they've played a lot better at safety this year. Mark Perry, a transfer from Colorado, has given them a boost in the secondary. Obviously, uh, Millard Bradford has played really well this year for TCU but I think it's going to be that speed, that speed. They've obviously seen some speed with Ohio State, but I think the speed on defense for TCU is going to be something that they really haven't seen, and how fast can they uh, get to the the running backs, you know, combating that big offensive line for uh, Michigan is going to be really key for them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that listening to the TCU players and coaches this week here at the Fiesta Bowl, they, they talk a lot about you know, we talk about this 3-3-5, but really they're talking about their speed. And as you just mentioned, that's something maybe Michigan hasn't quite seen quite a bit this year. And they actually, a couple of players from Michigan, like, we would love to see J.J. McCarthy try to roll out of the pocket and create some things. Because they believe that would work into advantage on defense. What do you think, Zach, that J.J. McCarthy's got to do in this game to get that that... That passing game going, do you think that TCU maybe would have an advantage if McCarthy feels like he does need to try and pick up and run the ball a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been interesting because Michigan fans are like, please start running the ball. You know, there's this sense of like, you know, because he's really fast. And I think the the play that everyone goes back to is Blake Corum in the Big Ten championship game last year broke out for a 70-yard run or, or something of that nature. And McCarthy was with him step for step. And we are talking about a guy who, had he been healthy all season, is probably in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. So you know, he's got real speed. But, but I think because of their backup quarterback situation and because you know Michigan needed him all season, uh, he hasn't necessarily been like a, a designed run guy. And, and really, I think he's been more kind of like that that extend the play. Runner, so I think I think Michigan fans would love to see it. I, I think that is a big part of it, though, is is that speed. You mentioned the third, you know, the third safety, or or just kind of having a, a true, you know, back eight, really not not even a back seven, and, and guys who you know receivers aren't going to be as open as they are in the Big Ten every time, and and so I think the play action pass is important, but I also think option runs just to uh, kind of command respect you know, in that run game and command respect and make TCU's defense stay honest, you know, and not just kinda like sit back and and try to pick off a pass. Um, you know, McCarthy's pretty good at avoiding turnovers and avoiding mistakes, but, you know, especially if TCU can kind of fill those run gaps and stop the run a little bit, I do think McCarthy's going to have to one, get the play action pass going, and then two, I think break off and and really keep TCU's defense honest and keep on some of those option plays.
2: Well what I will say is I, I really feel that TCU's been battle tested when it comes to facing fast quarterbacks people watch the Big 12, every single team in that league has a fast quarterback. What's been beneficial for TCU is sometimes they hurt those quarterbacks and they don't have to see some of them. But I I think uh, they're obviously aware of J.J.'s running ability. Um, And it's not really the the fact that he can go out and get a 30 or 40-yard gain. It's if they get him in the backfield for perhaps a five or six yard loss and he's able to escape and get three or four yards, you could turn a second and fifteen into a second and six. So it, it's it makes a big difference in them getting to the quarterback, but they they rely a lot on their linebackers. They rely a lot on Jamoy Hodge and D winners to kind of spy the quarterback a little bit. It's not gonna be so much a defensive end. I told people in the very beginning of the year, don't expect TCU's defensive ends to lead the team in sacks. And they're not. Uh, Johnny Hodges, D. Winters, those guys are the guys in the stat column that lead the sack category. So I expect to see maybe not not so much a spy situation, but maybe more of them being aware of what he can do with his feet. They obviously get to see a guy like that every day in practice when they practice against Max Duggan. So um, they're going to be aware of his running ability. But I I would think that uh, they they try to keep him in front of the in front of them.
0: It's from a 30,000-foot view of the culture and turnaround one of TCU obviously here just in the last calendar year. And in Michigan, really, since the pandemic season, what has led to that? I'm going to start off with Michigan, cause, cause Michigan because this run they've been on has been a couple years in the making. And I think a lot of people try to pinpoint it to, oh, it's when they beat Ohio State in the game last year. But it was well before that. What was the change? What has been the secret, secret I guess, sauce to all of this for Michigan the last two seasons?
1: Yeah, this this could be a 10, 10 hour episode if I really like broke it broke it all down. I, I think a lot of it was just kinda getting back to what Jim Harbaugh was always doing best when he was a coach. You know, he really if you love football, you know, his practices will make you a better football player. But I think, I think, you know, when he first got to Michigan, I think he was, you know, with the offensive coordinators he hired or with the recruiting he did, he was trying to kind of beat Ohio State at its own game. And what really, Michigan really needs is, is the physicality. They need the blue collar mentality and and they've always had that, but I don't think they always leaned into it as much as they have now. I think you're seeing, you know, that 2019 team that got, you know, blasted by Ohio State. They had like 285 pound defensive tackles and they were kind of almost pass first, which is just unheard of in Michigan's history and also in Jim Harbaugh's history. So I think, you know, the 2020 season made it look a lot worse and put the magnifying glass on it. But you and I talked about it in 2020. I mean, he was he was kind of on the hot seat before the season. And not, maybe not in the administration, but among fans. And so I think the 2020 season kind of put the magnifying glass on on he had kind of been trying to do too many things, trying to keep up with with the Ohio State and even Penn State at the time. And, And really, he got back to kind of the smash mouth football on both sides of the ball. The defensive tackles got bigger. You know, he kind of, him and Ben Herbert, the strength and conditioning coach, kind of schemed like, all right, we need to be stronger and tougher more than anything else. That needs to be what, fans or analysts say first when they talk about our games and and you know there's lots of little things you know Aiden Hutchinson kind of emotionally leading the team and and Blake Corum kind of doing so this year I mean there's there's a lot of the cliche stuff but I think if you're actually looking at what physically changed I think it really is they just started dominating the trenches week in week out and and taking pride in that I mean the offensive linemen at Michigan are you know they're here you know they're household names among fans I think there's just a lot of pride in that and if you look at his success at Stanford his success at San Francisco you know, his coaching influences, you know, when he was at Michigan or or what his dad did at Western Kentucky. I mean, that's, that's Jim Harbaugh at his best. You know, he knows how to build a physically strong, punishing smash mouth football team. And I think Getting back to that, and getting back to that being kind of their market commodity. Uh, I mean, you're seeing Penn State and Ohio State. They have to recruit different. They have to develop talent. They have to scheme different because Michigan was able to put together such a physically punishing offense and, and defense.
0: Jeremy, with with TCU, it's been remarkable seeing this happen this year. I mean, I think a lot of us would sit back and go, an eight win season would have been just the perfect start for Sonny Dykes. They go undefeated in the regular season. We don't see this very often from Power Five programs. Have this one year jump like this. And it isn't like he inherited Sonny Dykes, a program that was loaded with playmakers. I mean, they go to the transfer portal and add 13 guys to help supplement this roster. What was the big change for them? And has this just been like a slow process week to week for them uh, throughout the season? Or did this really start in the spring and the summer where you started noticing yourself as a reporter that this TCU team could potentially have a special year.
2: You know, you're talking to the guy that felt like six and six to eight and four would have been an incredible year for TCU and, and Sonny Docks in his first year, and, and and just looking back at it now, it's just crazy to think this this team is 12 and one right now and playing in the college football playoff. But as a reporter, you listen to different sources. Hey, I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this. To physically see it with my own eyes when you go out there to the spring, and I've covered the team since 05. I've been there around Gary Patterson. But to see this team go through spring workouts, the first thing I told everyone is, man, that team is having fun. They look energized. They, they're they bouncing around. They're flying around to the football. The coaches coach different. The mentality's different. Um, and you and I were talking about this earlier. I think one of the 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 hidden gems in college football is Kaz Kazadi. Kaz Kazadi has brought so much to this program, not only from a physical standpoint. These players just look different. You look at Desmond Howard when they played Kansas, and he made a he made a joke about when they're at game day. He saw TCU walk out, and he said, "I'm changing my prediction to TCU because he didn't know the guys look like that." But not only the physicality part of it and getting these guys bigger, but just the mental part because they take so much pride in nutrition around TCU now. They weigh them every time they eat. They keep monitors on them every practice. To see how hard they're practicing or how hard they're not practicing. Yeah, but,
0: it's, I spoke to Johnny Hodges earlier, talking about when his hamstring was, you know, got he bothered in against Iowa State, and they were monitoring his steps every day. And he would get like a text the moment he would go over his steps or get near it, and they go, Get off your feet right now. That's enough. You've worn yourself out. Yeah. It's amazing how far technology has come, but also keeping up with the players like that on, a, on an individual basis.
2: And, and that's something that I've never seen before. You know, last in, in under Patterson, you had basically one strength coach with an assistant, and now you've got five guys that are dedicated to monitor every other player they they watch every kid eat if they don't weigh a certain amount they can't leave the lunch table i mean it's it's it seems pretty Minute, but it really is big for them. They they really look at all these things to help them become better football players, and that's just what Sonny Docks understands. Sonny Docks understands today's landscape of college football. He understands I've got to give these guys nutrition. I got to give them three solid meals a day. I've got to give them coaching that aren't going to be too hard on them, but they're going to coach them hard and love them at the same time. And I think that's what's led to their success this year. And when you have fun, it's not going to lead to twelve wins. Let's let's be honest yeah. it's not it's not going to change that much, but it's gonna it's gonna help them in games that they've come back in, seven comebacks. And this is a team, last year, if they are in those games, they lose probably six of those, maybe all seven. The mentality with this team's just different. The chemistry's just different. And I think it's that strength and conditioning that has really helped them. If you watch those games in the fourth quarter, they're wearing down teams with their run game. They're facing teams that are putting seven, eight guys in the box, and guess what? Garrett Riley's still saying, I'm going to hand the ball off to Kendra Miller, and I'm still going to let him run the ball.
0: And the coaches, something Dykes was mentioning this in media day, that a lot of people want to label TCUs like, oh, they're a big play threat. Max Duggan just wills us to victories and everything. But TCU, a lot like Michigan, they like to lean into opponents in that third and fourth quarter. Mm. They want to run the ball down your throat. They want three-yard gains to turn into eight-yard gains, and then 12-yard gains, and then the explosives. I think these two teams are very similar in a lot of ways that maybe people are kind of overlooking. They kind of look at TCU as, well, they're not a big blue blood. They don't have a huge gigantic offensive line or defensive line. But they both have that that pedigree of they want to run the ball. Now, another thing that's very common between the two, and you just mentioned this, seven comeback wins for TCU. Michigan also has seven comeback wins this season. Those marks lead all of college football. Michigan has been tied with the likes of Rutgers at halftime. And then they just come out in the second half and absolutely demolish teams. I have to go back and look. I think Michigan has the greatest second half point differential in all of college football over the last five years. It's amazing what Michigan does. And then TCU has been almost equally as impressive because of the spots they've been in going into the fourth quarter in the final three minutes even having to make these comebacks. So... What is driving these teams to these comeback victories? Is it the heart of Max Duggan for TCU at quarterback? And is it simply just Michigan being more physical up front? I want to start with you, Zach, at the Michigan side.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is just physically. You know, Ben Herbert does a lot of fourth quarter finisher drills um, the offensive line really takes pride in a four quarter game plan that's a phrase they use a lot and, and on, on defense they, they say a lot of the same things I think they kind of play with their food a little bit you know I mean TCU's been in a lot of like really like gutsy comebacks like Michigan's I, you know you say seven I didn't realize it was that many because a lot of times they, they would be outgaining the other team by like 150 yards at halftime or or have you know eight more first downs and then in the first in the second half you kind of see it start to show in the scoreboard so I, I do think some of those Games, you know, I think Penn State's a good example. Michigan probably should have been up by twenty against Penn State, and and uh, and so the, Michigan hasn't really sweat a lot of them out, and that's something that I'm really interested to see in the Fiesta Bowls. I mean, TCU, if this is a back-and-forth game where the teams are trading haymakers, I mean, they're going to be comfortable. Michigan might be comfortable, but we haven't really seen it. The only time we saw it was Illinois, and that was the game where Blake Corum got hurt, and the weather was terrible, and so I think they were just trying to get through it. So yeah, we haven't seen Michigan sweat it out, but I think I think the, the strength and conditioning is a part of it. I think the coaching adjustments, I mean, you do see uh, tactical adjustments, and I think what this staff does more than old Michigan staffs is I think it's a lot of natural teacher coaches and I think they're able to relay these adjustments that need to be made in ways that Michigan can digest players can digest and understand and execute it but but at the same time you know thinking about Rutgers I mean it was it was it was it was really more like a, a progression to the mean in the second half for a lot of those games so uh, impressive still but at the same time I think it's more we're bigger, we're better. Kind of forgot to show it in the first half. Now here it is. Whereas TCU, I think, has shown a lot of guts and a lot of um, resiliency.
0: You say playing playing with their food. Michigan, I, I think there's a lot of credence to that because they're just obviously more talented than a lot of the teams they faced in the Big Ten this year. But if you play with your food and that food is a hypno-toad, you might <laughs> start tripping out a little bit. How much has one strength and conditioning, but also Max Duggan and his heart, I know we tend to overplay that and be hyperbolic about things, but I don't know if you can underplay just how important Max Duggan is to this team when they get in tight spots this season, and, and I am so interested to see if this is a tight game in the second half, how that changes and challenges Michigan. What, what has made Max Duggan so special this year for this TCU program, and is he a big credit for why they're so in in this spot right now playing for a national
2: championship? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, great story on Max, Brandon. That was, that was an awesome read. But I would say with Max is there's just... There's no give up in the kid, and, and we've all known that. We've all seen Max's potential for four years, and it's really cool to see him finally fulfill some of those things people had hoped to see. I think when you think of Max Duggan, you're thinking of a guy that is falling into the end zone, can't stand up because he's so exhausted, because he wants his team to win so much. And every one of those teammates of his know they they would run through a wall, and it's amazing to think that this guy wasn't even the starter to begin to <laughs> That's, see. That's not and, so. We saw it in the fall and spring. These were open practices, and and both quarterbacks looked really good. And it's it's funny because I still think if you ask Sonny Docks today, he would probably say, "Well, Max, but he's just the gamer." And I don't think they really understood what they had Max until he got in the game. But I think even in that great comeback win against Baylor, those last two drives, those were passing concepts they'd been working on since day one of spring camp. These this was nothing new that they hadn't done before. And I think that's the big part of just simplifying things for Max. But what's great about this year is we see Max over the last four years we see all these highlights, 95% of them have been run plays. But what I really like about Max this year is his ability to throw the football. I think that's going to be a big thing in this game is he does not turn the ball over. He's got four interceptions on the year. But if you go back and watch every single one of those games, most of those interceptions are on 50-50 balls. They're they're jump balls. He's throwing them up, trying to let his receivers make plays. He's gotten better in the pocket. He doesn't run as much. If you look at his rushing stats, he doesn't have as many rushing yards. So his, his development as a passer, I think, is going to be big. But everyone that watches Max, they love those plays. They love the guy that... That is bleeding from his elbow, blood running down his arm and on his knees. That is what personifies Max Duggan. I think what he is is what TCU is this year.
0: I, I find this fiesta ball the most fascinating of the semifinals. That's why I'm here and why I beg the bosses to let me come here. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see this one on New Year's Eve. Zach Shaw, Jeremy Clark, thanks so much for joining us here on the College Football Daily here in Paradise Valley, Arizona. We'll make our way to Glendale for this big game on New Year's Eve in the afternoon, actually. For Lance Glenn, our producer, I'm Brendan Marcello. This has been the College Football Daily.